is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Thank you so much for joining us today. Reports show that before COVID-19, tourism was one of the fastest growing sectors in the global economy. And that changed in 2020. Due to the pandemic, tourism dropped by around 74% in 2020 compared to 2019. That's according to the UN Tourism Organization. And this drop affected mostly women and youth who represent the majority of the workforce employed by the tourism sector. In Africa, companies in the travel space had to find innovative ways to stay operational. We are solving a problem that has been in Africa for so long because most of the travel, most of people in the tour operators, they are completely offline. So when they hear about our vision, when they hear about what we are doing, they talk to each other and they join our platform. Uh, we are completely overwhelmed and we are really looking forward to see people traveling and trying our amazing packages um, in any of the 12 destinations and more that are coming up. That is Charles Kishi. He's the founder of Zaniheza, a startup company based in Kigali, Rwanda. And reports show that the African fashion industry is growing at an unprecedented rate powered by global interest in African culture. But what does it take to build a successful fashion brand in Africa? Um, we are getting more doors open for us or we are creating our own doors, right? So as much as I would say there is more room, I like to stay positive and think that if we keep doing what we're doing and we keep pushing, we, you know, even if you won't give us a, um, a seat at the table, we're going to build our own table. I like to look at it from that point of view. That is Ruby Boer, the founder of Kua Designs. Ruby is one of the designers that is shifting the narrative around African fashion. Ruby will join us later on in the show. But first, let's hear your opinions. This month, the Ugandan president, Yoweri Museveni, signed into law legislation criminalizing some internet activity. So what do you think about this move and what impact will it have on free speech in the country? We hit the streets of Kampala for your reactions. The law is good because insulting people is not a good thing. I personally, I couldn't wish, like, because people have families, people have relatives, and so insulting people on social media because everyone is able to view this from all over the world, which is not good. And on the other hand, I'd say that years of imprisonment is too much. Maybe they would get more, not more than like all those years because those years are many people have families. Someone may do it out of influence. Sometimes it's not like that's what I can say. I'm called Turinde Wright Faji. I'm a student at KIO. So that law is very correct because, um, you see, most of the Ugandans misuse internet, see WhatsApp and other social media, see blackmailing others' names, and whatever. It's very good. That law is very good, and we should not misuse internet and other social media as well. Yeah, my name is Mazma Andrew. I think the law might be malicious because uh, I talked about the computer misuse. We are seeing so many people being arrested because of computer, in the name of computer misuse. But I think it's more of a political, it's a political tool. Thank you so much for contributing your voices to this issue. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. 
Now, reports show that before COVID-19, tourism was one of the fastest growing sectors in the global economy. However, that changed in 2020 when, due to the pandemic, tourism dropped by around 74% compared to 2019. That's according to the UN Tourism Organization. This drop affected mostly women and youth who represent the majority of the workforce employed by the tourism sector. In Rwanda, tourism, which is the country's top foreign exchange honor, dropped to its lowest in decades. The previous year, as reports show, tourism and the hospitality industry had generated over $400 million for the country's economy. Local tours and travel companies suffered a substantial loss of revenue and had to find innovative ways to stay operational. Zaniheza, a startup in the travel space, had to find creative ways to survive. Their solution was to create a marketplace that provides virtual travel in form of immersive experiences that allowed people to enjoy and learn about new cultures from their living rooms. Charles Kishi, the founder of Zaniheza, joins me to talk about his company and a cultural entrepreneurship festival that he is organizing in Kigali. Charles, what makes your company different from other operators and what makes Rwanda the ideal place to build such a company? First of all, how are we different from the other tour operators? Simply said, I mean, Zaniheza is a platform. But within Zaniheza, we also have our own immersive travel package. You will notice, I rarely say tour operator. I usually say immersive. That's our keyword. You want to be immersed in everything we have for you. That's what sets us apart. Rwanda is a remarkable place. It's where the change is happening, not just to come and travel, but to come and live and as well as build a business. I am a pure testimony to that. Because even if I'm Rwandan, I had not lived in a country for over 24 years. But here I am, building a global company. Now, Charles, when I visited your offices in Kigali, the company was being run by mostly young college students and graduates, uh, mostly young women who were passionate about growing the company. Was that your goal to hire mostly youth? And are they still with the company despite the struggles due to the pandemic? Absolutely. Zani has a will and always be, you know, youth, youth driven and women. Um, so, yeah, they are still all there and they are growing. Okay. Um, because uh, Africa is really young, so it makes sense that uh, the youth uh, come and continue to work with us and then grow. So what did you have to do as a company to stay operational in the face of all these challenges? How did you innovate around the pandemic? You had to be very creative. In my case, I had to find other ways to bring in revenue. Uh, be it, in my case, uh, we created our channel uh, where... Uh, with our shows, we can earn revenue. Even if it was $100, that does something for you. Uh, we also had our channel. Uh, I was, um, in that case, uh, putting in made in Rwanda. Um, anything we can have, like T-shirts and even crafts. Mm-hmm. I remember we saw some of the baskets in London. You really have to be um, creative, but at the same time, um, Keep fighting, <laughs> keep keep really fighting and also talking to your friends. Like I used to call friends and say, you know, I am doing this. Can you please support me? And they will give you $100 or $200. Uh, it's really being brave at uh, the circumstances. But mm. we pulled through. I'm very happy for that. And has the number of people visiting the country picked up since the travel restrictions 
uh, were lifted. How is business looking like for you now? It has picked up. However, I think people are catching up on the trips that they previously booked. So for us who are new uh, from 2020, we have not really felt that yet, the impact. Um, we focus on the travelers who are coming from the U.S. and as well as in Canada. And those travelers, they are essentially using up, let's say, to go visit their family and friends. Uh, however, leisure travel, it's slowly, slowly picking up. But, but even then, it's really for them to catch up on those trips that were canceled or that were delayed. Um, so we haven't quite seen that sort of major sort of shift yeah, in the booking of the trips. Just quickly to add, Zania Zanawi is mostly a platform for the continent in Africa. Because when we started, we had only one location in Rwanda. But the vision was to go big and to add more locations. So now we are in 12 destinations in Africa to date. So tell us a little bit about this uh, Indatwa Festival and what you're hoping to achieve with it. A festival, an event, brings people in one place. Uh, so it is a two-day event. And uh, on the first day, we are holding what we call Indatwa Talks, inspired from the TED Talks. And we have speakers coming from Spain and the U.S. where we're going to be talking about cultural entrepreneurship because culture it's always at the forefront of everything i do um, and what this festival is meant to do is to bring those discussions that we usually see in europe or in the u.s in the continent because really there's so much changes happening even from rwanda that we need to bring those those conversations at, at home in case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vongani. I'm chatting with Charles Kishi. He's the founder of Zaniheza, a tech-based startup with a mission to promote cultural tourism around the continent, starting with Rwanda, where the company is based. Charles, thanks again for joining us on the show. Now, we've previously chatted about how your company has struggled during the pandemic, but I wanted to take you back to when you launched the company. What inspired you to start Zaniheza? Zaniheza, I was inspired by the narrative of our continent is often distorted. And so simply said, even in the travel, when you come to visit our continent, we have more than the wildlife. In fact, the wildlife is only five countries, but Africa is 54 countries. But it's to say, you know what? We have cities too. If you come to Rwanda, don't just go see the Goliaths. That's nice. But have you really taken a moment to learn about Kigali? And this was also proven by um, many research done by CNN and Forbes that people don't spend time in the capital. And in some of my conversations with my friends in North America, it was as if you know, the continent in Africa was just this place in the dark age. And so I was truly inspired by saying, you know what, the culture of who we are and who we are going to be and who we were, that has to be put at the forefront. So as you were launching the company, the WHO declared the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw a near total shutdown in travel around the world. Did you ever consider changing your mind and maybe getting into some other business? I like to say Zaniheza is my calling. And from the day one, I said I was going to disrupt travel in Africa. When you have a calling, when you're passionate, and when you have this vision, uh, no matter what, it's just another challenge that you have to face. And so I didn't see the pandemic as 
something that's going to stop us from keep going. However, I thought that that's actually a challenge that we can face and we can actually find a way to, to go back and maybe learn from how we can improve what we are thinking. Um, and I can say that actually Zanihiza may have become stronger as a result of the pandemic because we really took time for the last three years, Zanihiza turns three this year, to really learn about tourism and travel. Because remember, even though I had the idea of a platform, I had much to learn. That's why I started with one country. And mm. now we are in 12 countries. And we've reached 12 countries since the world reopened. This really in 2022, we have done that in less than seven months. And what kind of reactions have you had from your fellow entrepreneurs in the travel space? How have they responded to your innovations? Most of the travel, most of people in the tour, operators, they are completely offline. So when they hear about our vision, when they hear about what we are doing, they talk to each other and they join our platform. Uh, we are completely overwhelmed and we are really looking forward to see people traveling and trying our amazing packages um, in any of the 12 destinations and more that are coming up. And finally, Charles, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you again to briefly talk about the Indatwa Festival that will take place in Kigali and the kind of impact you feel it will have on the travel industry. Indatwa Festival is meant to achieve one thing, ignite passion for Africa through culture. It's again having those discussions that we don't usually have, let's say on travel, on technology at our level. Uh, in Rwanda, in this case, um, because I have seen that there are many events, and when we say festival, it's not just like it's not just like a musical um, event here. Um, hence, we have the talks and have speakers who are coming, but it's really having those intellectual conversations, those life-changing conversations that are going to impact millions of people around the world or in Africa to begin with. Uh, so bring them close to home. And at the same time, create, create opportunities for the locals, especially the youth. Uh, from our other previous conversation, because, you know, I do everything to empower and create opportunities for the youth. That was Charles Kishi. He's the founder of Zaniheza, a travel startup company based in Kigali, Rwanda. Voice of America. Welcome back. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Reports show that Africa's creative industries are generating hundreds of millions of dollars for their local economies. From music to film to fashion, the industry is being fueled by global interest in Africa's cultural products. There's also been an increase in the number of digital platforms that are allowing cultural workers like fashion designers, performers, artists, and musicians to reach new audiences around the world. And from Accra, Ghana, we chat with Ruby Boer, a fashion designer and entrepreneur behind the brand Kua Designs. Ruby left her job as a financial analyst for Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia, to start making jewelry, and within three years, it went from being a hobby to a part-time jewelry-making business. And she later moved back to Accra, Ghana, where she operates Kua Designs, which is an acronym for Keeping Us Authentic. Her company designs beaded jewelry, high-end handbags, clothing, and other products for women. I reached Ruby in Accra to talk about her journey from finance to the fashion industry. Ruby, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What inspired you to move from the corporate world 
into the world of fashion. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Okay, um, so as you already know, my name is Ruby Boa. I'm born and raised in Ghana, and I went to the U.S. for college. In fact, I actually did one year high school in the U.S., and um, for college, I majored in business admin. I found my way in finance, worked up to being a financial analyst for Coca-Cola. And somewhere along the line in my career, I took a random class on jewelry making. We just made a simple one-string bracelet, I mean necklace, and I was hooked. You found a calling. I'm telling you, I went out there and bought a bunch of beads and um, the financial analyst part of me kicked in and I'm like, what are you going to do with all this and how are you going to get your money back, right? But the first time, I truly did not even think of making a business out of this. I just thought this is a healthy hobby. Maybe I could sell on the side. And that was pretty much it. You know, but that, I always so that was the entry point for you was jewelry. Yes. The but you later on expanded into bags and other types of fashion. Exactly. It was right around to get into time. that. How did you turn, how do you make that change? It was right around the time. So after I started the jewelry, I started selling. I would do art shows, weekends, every weekend I was selling. And with every weekend, I noticed I was making more sales. So I thought this would be a dream come true. I'm like, it's not going to be possible. But gosh, can you imagine if I did this full time? But I kept pushing. And it got to a point that I was getting so restless in my corporate world. And my then boyfriend, now husband, told me, Ruby, I think it's because you want to do this full time. And I'm like, oh, but how can I pay my bills, right? So I finally decided I'll do that. And I applied for the uh, Fashion Institute of Technology because I told myself I need a clean break. If you keep looking at the money you're making in the corporate world, you will never stop, right? So I packed up, moved to New York from Atlanta, and started my um, jewelry design degree program full-time. And I told myself that I'm not going to look back. You told yourself that you're not going to look back. I'm not going to look back. This right? was the beginning of a new journey for you. The beginning of the new journey, exactly. And around that time, I started mm -hmm. the, um, the bag line because it was around the time where Africans were beginning to reappreciate our African print, our culture, we're showing it off. And it wasn't like uh, parents and grandparents who, it was more like an official attire, right? Mm. Our generation were like, I want to be able to wear it to work. I want to be able to wear it any day. I don't need to wait for it to be an occasion, church, wedding, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the Ankara clothing became popular. But then I thought, I like the idea of um, accessories, you know? So I thought I will make clutch bags. And with that, too, I figured it would just be a small piece of African print. It would work with your white shirt and jeans. You can wear it with sneakers or you can wear it with heels, and it would be easy. Again, the finance part of me, too, was when it comes to accessories, one size fits all. Jewelry, I mean, earrings, bags. If you like it, you like it. It's not a matter of I like it, but it's not my size, you know. So that is what I liked about that. And then I took more handbag-making classes in fashion school. Mm -hmm. So that also helped. And um, as they say, the rest is history. As a kid growing up, did you have an inclination towards uh, or an interest towards fashion? I, I, so 
in general, I was creative, but I think I showed it in other ways. So I used to be a performer. I danced at school. I was the bubbly, funny personality. But I think typical middle-class Ghanaian or African, um, our parents did not encourage us to go into the creative part. Of course. So I always say the left side of my brain never spoke up. You know, you... You can't go to your parents and say, I want to make jewelry and sell or bags. It, was, it would be so foreign. And you would also feel so guilty that they are pumping all this money into making sure you get some of the best education. And here you are saying this is what you want to do. So I didn't even give myself permission to explore that until I was on my own and quite settled in my career. And I said, you know what, let me give this a try. And as I mentioned, even with that, I just thought it was going to be a hobby. I didn't know I was going to take it far. Now, Ruby, do you see a change in attitudes uh, in how people perceive the creative industries in Africa, uh, starting with Ghana, where you're from? In Ghana, it's changing. I'll say even especially with women, they say there's more women entrepreneurs in Ghana. And um, I know now I have more friends who have their own business, either as a side business or full-time, than friends who just work in the corporate world. So I think with time, it's changing and I feel like we are part of the generation that need to make working for yourself, going into the creatives, for lack of a better word, sexy, right? Not scary. Absolutely. So the younger people are brave to say that we can do it. You right. Know? And look at it as an avenue of, of, of generating revenues instead of looking yes, at it. Yes, because side. I, um, so I don't regret going the business route first because you kind of do need that business sense to run your own business. And most creatives, we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with the money aspects. We don't want to deal with taxes. We don't want to deal with anything that has to do with money. I will admit, I'm also a bit like that. But because my background, I've had to do it for businesses and it had been a part of me for so long, every now and then I sit up and then I pay attention to that. So I do find that to be very important. And also as a mother now, I do get where my parents are coming from. Everyone wants their kid to be in a field that's stable. And back then, mm. being a doctor, accountant, all that, those were the stable fields. So even today, I don't advise people to just take the leap and jump into the creatives. I always talk about planning. Mm. And I even say that once you take the leap, if for whatever reason you have to go back to the corporate world, don't shy away from it because right. what you don't want to happen is you don't want to be with your creative field and it not make you enough money that you start hating your creativity. You want the balance to be right so right. that you still get your creative juices flowing and you are able to continue. And, and what, what are some of the skill sets that you were able to use or you still use up to now uh, that, that you acquired in your corporate job in, in, in finance that you're using as a fashion designer? So, for example, when it comes to pricing, I did not even know. Well, I do know we all struggle to price our product, but I have a system that is so easy that I realized that some creatives are not doing that. Um, for the first time, just last week, we had a company meeting and I did our pricing with employees and they were actually shocked because I told them, I said, everybody come and tell us what it takes to make a bag. They did the whole leather, the African print and just the basics, and nobody put in the rent of the workshop, the rent of the boutique. They didn't add even salaries. They didn't add the air conditioning, the cleaning crew, 
that every single thing that it came that cost money to, exactly and without those things we don't sell right. but it was best you know when i started listing the things that go into making a product i listed those things first before i go to the materials right so i noticed that all this come into play a lot of people don't make room for a marketing budget i do my marketing mm -hmm. budget may not be much but you see a lot of people saying it's almost like the marketing aspect is an afterthought but i know it's very important i work it's for very important yes. yes it's the biggest <laughs> brand when it comes to beverages but they always have a big marketing mark um, budget because the moments people forget about you that's it nobody cares how good your product is so i know some of these things always seep back into me running my business and, and Ruby, can I just uh, say that it's very refreshing to hear uh, a creative who came from finance, uh, <laughs> because one for, for one, they kind of pigeonhole, uh, and we're going to talk about pigeonholing, especially yeah. African fashion and fashion designers. Um, but you know, they always pigeonhole like uh, people in the finance industry, like, oh, those are not creative, so they don't have, you know, and I feel like everybody has some creativity and, and, they, and they need a creative outlet if they, they don't even have it. But I would say maybe you should start some workshops educating some of those uh, creatives in Ghana about the finance part of, of, of creativity, just like yourself, because I think they need it. Wow, you, know? you do make a good point. Even yeah. if it's just not me alone, I can bring in um, an accountant, Absolutely. an auditor, a marketer. You have a good point. Yes, bring yeah. in a community together to help enhance what we do. Mm. Good point. Thank you, Jackson. Oh, you're welcome, Ruby. And I look forward to hearing more on that when you know. I will definitely keep you posted. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of pigeon hauling, uh, let's talk about the global interest in African fashion. African culture, whether it's music or fashion, is having a moment. Well, how do we build upon this moment? How do we make this not just a fad of, uh, uh, of this two, three, four, five years and say this is something that is going to continually exist and happen and people will be interested to the point where our creatives actually start realizing that there's stability in the industry? Um, I don't think it's going to be a fad, and there's a few reasons why. Some great, some not so great. I don't think it's going to be a fad because this has been going on for easily 15 years, so already it's showing that it has some longevity, right? Secondly, um, not only Africans, other industries are profiting off of it. You see the big brands making African-inspired designs now, and they are profiting off of it. So once people are making money, they're not going to stop. And also once these big brands start making it, because people always want to feel like they are doing well by wearing big name brands, right? So they're excited that now, oh, this brand is now also using Ankara or this brand is now using this um, Dinkra symbol from Ghana or this, that. So, but another important reason is I think Africans in Africa and Africans in the diaspora are woke. They are now very aware. They are very confident about their culture. They don't, they do know we still have our issues, be it poverty or corruption or whatever, but they are still unapologetically proud to be African. And so with that, I don't think they're just going to say I've moved on. Mm. And, and they're showing that in the way they embrace the culture. Whether they are so music or the exactly. Mm. And they are helping because now there's more Africans in the diaspora. There's now second generation Africans that do not live 
on the continent. Mm -hmm. And they are just very unapologetic that we want the song, we want our music, we want our clothing, and the world is responding to it. And so I don't think it's going to be a fad. Now, what I may be afraid of is if we don't organize ourselves well, or if we still don't have the um, purchasing power, other communities, other brands will come and may very well take it over. I give an example. Still, African prints is mostly made outside Africa. Absolutely. Listen, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I remember five years ago, I had a show about Ankara not being made in Africa. And people were coming after me. They're like, why are you trying to give it away? This is our thing. I'm like, yes. No, it was Denmark mostly, but now it's mostly in um, China. Yep. I mean, to the point where China just makes it exclusively and ships it to Africa. They don't even sell it there because they know this is where it is. And I'll be honest, the quality is getting better. Mm. And there are ways. I know Ghana has strict rules about how much can be imported into Ghana, but they find a way around it. It still mm-hmm. gets into the country, right? I think part of the problem is the ones that are made in Ghana, pricing is not competitive. Right, right. And so if you can get the same quality or close enough and the price is less than half what's made in Ghana, right? the economy dictates it, Absolutely. you know? It's about the numbers. It's, it's about the numbers. That was Ruby Boer. She's a fashion designer and entrepreneur behind the brand Core Designs. A rich star in Accra, Ghana. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to all our guests and to you, our listeners. Remember, connect with us on all social media platforms. We are at VOA Upfront. Until next time, I'm Jackson Bungani, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.